This morning's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 1. We're reading verses 18 through 32. Follow along in your Bible if you like, or I think it'll be up there. And... For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteous suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought to not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Thank you, Steve. I mentioned a, a couple of months ago about a situation that my brother encountered where he, he went on to the local news station, uh, he, he works for a hospital, and they actually sought out to have an interview with him by this local news station, and he was, he was going to kind of set the record straight. Uh, his hospital had come under some flack for one of their policies. Some of their patients uh, were feeling as though they, were, uh, they were, were not taking care of their patients appropriately, and Hold on one second here. Beth, I'm, Beth's uh, headphones aren't working. I can tell she wants to hear this. She's flagging me down. Is it, uh, is it working, Mark? Is the, is the thing on back there? Look at that. We're going to try to help you out right now, Beth. We're going to try to make it work. We want you to be able to hear this. But Anyway, uh, I'll try to speak loudly. Uh, anyway, so he had, uh, so he had to go in, and deal with this issue where they were, uh, these patients were, feeling like the, the, the doctors weren't taking care of them, and, and here's what they were doing, is they weren't providing the pain medications that the patients thought they should be receiving. 
that they were actually beginning to cut back on some of the pain medication that they were giving to the patients, and, and the patients felt this was unfair. My brother went on to the news to set the record straight and to say the reason why they were doing this is because these pain medications were actually hurting people, that they were being overused and they were causing health problems, addiction in many cases. And oftentimes what was happening is you have people who they're seeking pain medication, but they're not really seeking to be healed of whatever it is they're dealing with. They're just seeking for the pain medication. So he was coming along to say, no, we're actually doing this because we care about the patients. Today we are continuing in our series on the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a book that was written, a letter that was written. It's important to realize that's what it is. It is a letter And it was a letter written by a man named Paul, one of the early Christians, and he's writing to this church in Rome, and he's writing them for a number of reasons that we went into last week. But essentially what we discovered is that what the book is about, what the letter is about, is about the good news, the good news of Christianity. And and last week we talked about how we live in an age of bad news. Uh, We live in an age, at least as I talk with people around me, at least that's the perception anyways, is that we live in an age of of bad news, that that people are almost afraid to turn on the TV because some people even stop turning on the TV because they're tired of hearing bad news, right? Either you either hear bad news or fake news, right? It seems like those are the two types of news that are on offer for us in our culture. And so within this culture where we experience so much bad news, the letter of of Romans is incredibly refreshing because it reminds us that there is good news, that there is good news. Now, now what we're going to discover, though, um, and what we need to see in this passage today is that this good news contains bad news. This good news, the good news of the Christian faith, contains bad news. But isn't it often the case that good news contains bad news? Isn't that often the case? So, I mean, imagine, ladies, if your husband comes to you someday and says, honey, I bought you a brand new car. And you're like, wow, that is really good news. Thank you so much. Um, I, I, I like my old car. Is, is there something wrong? He's like, uh, well, right? And then he tells you that he totaled your car, right? So the bad news was part of the good news. That's often the case that whenever we have good news, that bad news is, is a part of, the, is part of the problem. Now, so here we are. We're looking at the good news of the Christian faith, and I'm about to tell you what we're going to see in this passage is that there's bad news. And I think the problem is that for many of us, we feel like, look, you know, I don't want to hear about bad news in church, right? It's almost inappropriate. It's inappropriate for you to, to share bad news in church, right? I mean, I can, I, again, I get enough bad news Everywhere else, when I go to work and I hear my coworkers talking, it's all bad news. When I turn on the television, it's all bad news. When I read people's Facebook posts, it's all bad news, bad news, or fake news, right? Oftentimes the things they say, that's not true, right? It's like I get enough of this everywhere else that I go, I get enough bad news. When I come to church, I just want to be uplifted. When I come to church, I, 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 I want you to deliver some sort of a message, and I want you to provide music that's just going to make me feel good about myself, right? Well, here's the problem. God isn't interested in giving you pain management. He's interested in healing you. 
God isn't interested in just medicating your soul. He's not just interested in in giving you something that will just make you feel good. He's interested in actually healing our souls. But you see, the problem is is that we treat our souls like we treat our bodies, like the experience that my brother had. Some people, they're not really interested in actually getting fixed. They just want to feel good, right? So just give me the pain meds, doc. Give me the pain meds. I don't want to do the therapy. I don't want to do the surgery. I don't want to do the things that are actually going to make me better. Just give me pain medication, right? So we shouldn't be surprised that we have the same attitude towards our soul. Yeah, just, pastor, just give me a nice message that'll make me feel good. But God isn't in the business of giving you pain medication for your soul. He's interested in healing your soul. So we have to look at the bad news. We have to look at the bad news. Now, what, what is this bad news? What is this bad news? The bad news, very simply, is this. We, and when I say we, I mean all of us. I mean everyone. That's what Paul's going to get to. Everyone, all of us, every single person that you know, society is living a lie. We live a lie. This is what our culture does. We live a lie, and that's what he talks about. We exchange uh, the truth of God for a lie, and we suppress the truth. Right, we see this in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You know, isn't it true we're really good at suppressing the truth? I mean, aren't we? I mean, be honest. You, me, we're, we're all good at suppressing the truth. I mean, obvious examples are things like alcoholism where the person who's addicted to alcohol suppresses the truth. They, they live a lie. They're like, no, this, this is, I don't have a problem. This is making my life better, right? They suppress the truth. They live a lie. Um, I, I know of, of, of individuals where, where maybe they're a victim of abuse, physical abuse, and they live a lie. They suppress the truth. It's a coping mechanism, actually, to deal with what they've gone through. They suppress the truth. They say, They say, no, 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 I haven't been abused. He, she, they're not abusive to me. They suppress the truth, and it's somewhat of a coping mechanism. You see, we're really good at suppressing the truth. Let's be honest. In politics, we all suppress the truth. I mean, isn't it true? Isn't it true? Look, I'm just going to be honest. I want you to be honest with yourself for a minute. Is it not true that most of you only listen to news sources that tell you what you want to hear? Right? I mean, you do. You just, we all, we listen to the news sources that we want to hear. Right? I mean, let's just put it this way. If, if, you're, if you're somebody who generally uh, feels favorably towards the way our administration is doing things, like you, you like the things that our president is doing, isn't it true that you pretty much just listen to news sources that, that talk about what a great job he's doing? I mean, isn't it true that, that you just, you listen to the news sources that will We'll talk about the positive things that they see him doing and we'll minimize the things that maybe aren't so good or, or pass the blame, right? Pass the blame on somebody else. So, so we listen to, if, we, if we're like favorable towards the administration, then we listen to news sources that simply talk about how great the president's doing and then we suppress the truth of maybe things that aren't going so well. And then on the other side, right? Then on the other side, 
There are those of us who maybe if we don't feel favorably disposed towards maybe some things that the president is doing, we tend to just listen to those news sources that talk about how terrible the administration is doing and, and never highlight anything positive. It's all negative. The administration's all doing bad. And so we listen to what we want to hear. We're not really interested in the truth. We're just interested in people telling us what we already believe. Isn't it true? We're all pretty good at suppressing the truth. Isn't it true that oftentimes we know of individuals, and maybe it's even ourselves, where we never see ourselves as the problem? The fault is always with somebody else. We minimize what we're doing, and we maximize the things that they're doing, the wrong that they're doing. We're just really good at suppressing the truth and living a lie, aren't we? So that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying that all of society, all of humanity is living this lie. We suppress the truth. Now, he's going to get at the heart of it. He's going to get right at the heart. Now, what is the big lie that humanity all sort of lives in? What is the, the truth that we suppress? What is the big lie that we all... And here, here's what it is. You ready? This is the big lie that all of society, all of humanity lives in some, at some level or another. Here's what it is. We come to believe that it's not worthwhile to acknowledge God's presence. We come to believe it's not worthwhile, it's not beneficial to acknowledge God's presence. This comes through uh, most clearly in verse 28. See verse 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, or others, other translations will say they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God. So it's saying, oh, we just don't think it's beneficial to acknowledge God's presence. Now, notice what he's not saying. He's not actually say, he's not saying that people like, have stopped believing that God exists. He's not, he's not actually saying that. He's not saying people have stopped believing that God exists, because that really wouldn't be true. It wasn't true back then, and it isn't true now. The vast majority of people in our culture globally believe in some sort of divine something. In other words, the percentage of atheists in our world has always been a minority. It's a very small percentage of people who live in our world. Even in places like Europe, for example, where Europe, even post-Enlightenment, post-French Revolution, post-Holocaust, post-World I, World War II Europe, even in Europe where you could maybe understand why they might not believe in God, it's still a minority. It's still like 12% atheists, Europe, broadly speaking. So it's a minority of people. So he's not saying that people don't believe in God. That wouldn't be true. And there's a reason, there's a reason why people believe in God. There's a reason why, even in the midst of all kinds of hardship, uh, we live in a world where the vast majority of people believe in some sort of God. And he makes it clear. He says, verse 20, he says, it's plain to them. Verse uh, 19, actually, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. He's just saying, look, this is just something that we just sort of intuitively know. We just know from looking around us, this is just something that society has always seen. We recognize that God exists, right? And so if, if you're one of those people that really gets into apologetics like I did for a while where, you know, looking at rational arguments for defending the existence of God, really all uh, apologetics is, is it is a post-enlightenment way of articulating the obvious. 
it's a rational way of articulating what's really just obvious. I mean, most people don't come to believe in God through the Kalam cosmological argument, or most people don't come to believe in God through, you know, Pascal's arguing or something like that. I mean, there are a few people that kind of think that way, but that's not where most people are because it's just obvious. He's saying it's plain to them. So, so Paul isn't saying that we're believing the lie that God doesn't exist. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we believe the lie that it's not beneficial to acknowledge his presence. It's just not worthwhile. It's almost not practical. And so actually, that, that's why to a certain extent you end up with, uh, with more agnostics than atheists. I mean, you'll, you'll get people, if, if they don't really say they're believers, they'll say, well, I just don't know. I don't know. Is there a God? I don't know. And, and the reality is, you know why they don't know? Because they don't really care. Well, seriously, I don't know if there's a God. It's because we don't, we don't really care. It's a little bit like if you ask me, you know, Kevin, do you know who's going to win the World Cup? I'm agnostic on that. I have no idea who's going to win the World Cup. You know why? I don't care. Right? And, and, and so, so people who, who, it's a little bit like this, you know, uh, if you go to a party, right, and somebody's like, hey, is Bob here? And you're like, I don't know. Because you don't care if Bob's there, right? I mean, maybe Bob's there, maybe Bob's not. Now, if it's, you know, your wife, right, or maybe, you know, the girl that you're hoping to go, you know, uh, try to build a relationship with, you know, you're trying to, try to, you know, get to know this girl, well, then, yeah, you care if she's there, but Bob, you just don't care. It's not worthwhile to you. It's not beneficial to you. And so that's what he's saying. That's where people are with, in terms of, of God. It's not that we don't believe that God exists. It's just that we don't really care. It's not, it, we don't see it's beneficial to acknowledge God's presence. And the point is, and I think this is so crucial, is that this can be true even for believers. This is the point here. Paul, Paul's not saying people don't believe in God. He's saying that people just, they don't really, it's not, they don't see it as worthwhile to acknowledge God's presence. And what I would suggest that this, is that this even happens at more of a sort of subconscious level. It's, it's not like people are walking around saying, I don't really care if God exists. It's not a conscious thought. We're not actually saying that. It's, it's happening at the subconscious level. At the subconscious level, we, we just don't really care. And you've got to realize, Paul is like the master psychoanalyzer. Paul's really good at getting at your subconscious. He is. He's the master psychoanalyzer. When I say psychoanalyzer, I'm not thinking Freud here. I mean, I mean in the, the, the literalist sense of that term, psychoanalyzer. The word psycho comes from the Greek word Suke, which means soul. To be a, a psychoanalyzer means to analyze your soul, and there's nobody better at it than the Apostle Paul. We'll discover that when we get to Romans 7. In Romans 7, we see Paul just, just analyzing the soul. Get it? You're going to read it. You get it, and you're like, that's me. He understands me. He understands my soul. That's what this is. Paul, Paul, Paul's saying at a subconscious level, at a subconscious level, we just, we don't really care. It's just, we don't see it as beneficial to acknowledge God's presence. Now, why don't we care? Why don't we care? You see, Paul's going to take this even deeper. 
Why don't we care? Why don't we, think, why don't we think it is beneficial to acknowledge God's presence? And here's why. Here's what it is. The reason we don't think it's beneficial to acknowledge his presence is because we don't love him. We don't love him. We love the things that he gives us. Well done, Mark. Okay, verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Now, what this is saying, again, is that we love the things that God gives us more than we love God. Now, it uses the word worship, right? It uses the word worship. It says we worship the created things rather than the creator, okay? But I think we should use the word love. And the reason why is because the word worship has become a very churchy word. We've domesticated the word worship, and what we mean by worship is that we go to church, right? So, oh, I worship God. I go to church. I don't worship created things. I go to church. I worship God, right? So we've domesticated it, and so then we can sort of convince ourselves this is where this can apply even to religious people you see, is that we've domesticated this word such that we think we are worshiping God and it's really just another way of suppressing the truth because worshiping God isn't simply about going to church on Sunday. It's about loving God. So if we use the word love, right, it's that we love creation rather than the creator and I think we can get it. When we use the word love, we'll see what I mean by this. So let's just kind of put it this way. Let me use a few examples to kind of show how I think this plays itself out. Isn't it true that we will often find ourselves saying things like this? I love my car. I love my car. I just got a new car. I absolutely love my car. Isn't it true? You, you get a, maybe you get a new house. I love my new house. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I've got this. I, I love it. I love it. Maybe you get a new job. And you're like, oh, my gosh. I've been wait- I finally got that job. It's the dream job. I love my job. I love it. Or, or, or maybe you're like, I love Game of Thrones, you know. I don't know. I love whatever it is, whatever TV show. I love that. And here's my question. How often do we say in the same tone with the same energy, How often do we say that? You see, this is really what he's getting at when he talks about idolatry. He talks about idolatry in this passage. And we think that idols don't apply to us, right? We, we, don't, we don't worship idols. Verse 22 and 23 talks about this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for immortal, uh, for the Im- glory of the immortal God 
for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. What, what he's talking about here is within the Roman culture, the way they, they made idols out of stone, out of wood. They made idols to represent the different gods within the Roman and Greek pantheon. So they, they would make a, an idol to Aphrodite. They'd make an idol to, to Zeus. They'd make an idol to, to whoever it might be. And they would make these, these idols in, in the sort of in the... Uh, in the shape of a man, in the shape of a human being. And so what Paul's talking about is idolatry. Now, see, we think to ourselves, well, we don't do that. We don't make idols. We don't go to temples. Are we sure about that? Uh, we may not go to temples, but we carry little temples around in our pockets. We carry little temples around in our, in our pockets, and, and instead of idols, it's icons. Isn't that funny? Little icon, little apps, little icons. You see, you see why, why go to a shrine prostitute when you can open up your favorite porn app? Why go, why, why go to, uh, why go to the, the temple of Artemis? Why go to the temple of Artemis and, and worship the god of money? That's what Artemis is, the god of money. Why go to the temple of Artemis when you can click on your Bank of America app and you can submit a sacrifice to the god of money in the form of a home loan payment? Why, why, go, to, uh, why go to the temple of Zeus and worship the god of war when you can download the NFL app? And you can watch all the fighting that you want to see, right? Why go to the temple of Athena, right, the, god, the goddess of wisdom? Why go to the temple of Athena when you can go to slatemagazine.com or download the Fox News app and you can have all the wisdom that you need? You see, we, we don't go to temples, we... We carry them around in our pockets, and we worship idols, and we love them. The idols that we worship aren't made of stone and metal by craftsmen. They're made out of ones and zeros by programmers. Paul's saying we don't love God. We love the things that he gives us. We love creation. And when we love God, when we don't love God, when we love his creation instead of him, this then manifests itself in rebellion against God. It manifests itself, it turns into a rebellion against the fundamental order of creation. That's actually what he's getting at here. Now, most scholars agree that this entire section here has echoes of Genesis chapter 1 through 3 in it, echoes of the creation story. Paul talks about Creation uses the word creation for since the creation of the world. Uh, down in, in verse 23, when he talks about how we make uh, these idols in the image of, of human beings, he's, he's making an allusion to the fact that actually there's no need to make an idol to represent God because we were the ones made in the image of God to represent God. So it's clear that Paul has Genesis 1 through 3 in mind as he writes all of this. And one of the things that you discover if you go back to Genesis 1 through 3, what you discover is that he describes the creation of everything in terms of uh, the, the coming together of order. It's God 
making order and beauty out of chaos. He brings beauty and order to chaos. And the way in which he does this back in Genesis, the way this lays itself out, is that the beauty and order of creation is seen as the coming together of the like and the dislike. So, for example, you have heaven and earth coming together as one. They're dislike, but they come together. Heaven and earth come together, and the coming together of like and dislike then represents the, 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 this order and this goodness and this beauty. The land and the sea come together. They're different, but they come together as a unity. And then it all culminates in male and female coming together, and the like and the dislike come together And together, that becomes what represents the the goodness and the beauty of creation. Now, perhaps you can see where this is going, and this is a point where I want to remind us of one of our core values. One of our core values in our church is to be outwardly faced. And what that means is that we really long and desire for people to come and be a part of our church, to be a part of our worship services, whether they agree with us or not. We want this to be a place where you feel safe whether you agree or disagree with with what we have to say. We want you to to feel welcome. Now, we also want you to feel challenged. I I hope that you would feel challenged. I hope we come here and we want to feel welcome and accepted, but we also want to feel challenged. I say that to all of us. I know that for me as I read the scriptures, if I'm honest with it, it's challenging and there are times when I get frustrated with it. And there are times it's like, I don't like that. There are times when I read the Bible, I don't like that, and it, it challenges me. And so I hope that when we come here, we come wanting to feel welcomed and accepted, but we also want to be challenged. And I say that to you, I want to say that to you now, because the reality is that uh, this section basically opens up an issue in our culture, which is pretty much like stepping on a landmine of nuclear proportions, So what we're about to to look at here very briefly is something that is incredibly controversial. And so here I'm just going to say what it is. Paul is, is saying that outside of a relationship between a man and a woman, sexual relations represent and they point to society turning away from the fundamental good and order of Now, again, that may be something that you struggle with. That's a challenge for you. And if that's true, please feel free to talk with me after the service. I would be happy to to talk with you. I know this is a very sensitive issue for many people. This is not just an academic question. People that I know personally, this is a very sensitive issue, and I would love to be able to to speak with you uh, about that. Uh, And and that's actually all I'm going to say at this point because Paul doesn't, this isn't actually Paul's point. Paul's point in this section is not to get into a discussion of what are appropriate sexual relations. He's simply using this as a point of application to point to a much bigger issue. So what I would encourage you to do is don't miss the forest for the trees in this particular situation because he's using that particular issue to get at something deeper, which I think we can all agree with, even if you disagree with that one particular point. And that is that there are all kinds of things that, are, that go on in our society around us that point to the reality that we are turning away from God, that we have turned away from God and are no longer loving him but loving creation. So I don't want you to miss 
the forest for the trees. So he goes on and he explains this some more, right? He shows what does this look like when we turn away from God and we live this lie? What happens when we go against the fundamental order of creation? And this is what we see then going on in verse 20, 29. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And as we'll see next week, if you're reading that and you're saying, boy, I know people like that, well, just wait till next week because Paul's going to come back and say, that's you. That's not just everybody else. That's you too. That's next week. That'll be fun. You're going to love that one. So Paul's describing what happens when we turn away from God, and we live this lie. And then, and then Paul goes on, to, he's saying, how does God respond to this? How does God respond when we turn away from him? And we say, yeah, I'm not really interested in being with you. I like your creation. I'd rather just be, I'd rather come to your party, but I'm not really interested in the host of the party. And you know what he says? Fine. Fine. You notice three times it talks about the wrath of God. People see that the wrath of God, and it really could just be translated as the word anger. In fact, the same Greek word is often translated as as anger. So the anger of God is being revealed. And you notice, how is it revealed? You see, we tend to think of the wrath of God as this, he comes, likes to smite people and likes to make their lives miserable. But three times in this text, you know what it says? It says that he gave them over to the way they were living. Three that he gave them over to it, verse uh, 24, 26, 28. He says, fine. If you want to come to my party, have you ever done that? you ever like thrown a party and then you come to realize that everybody's at the party, they're just there for your pool or they're there because you've got really good beer or they're there because, you know, whatever. And they're like, they don't even talk to you. That's what he's saying is happening. And what's interesting is instead of kicking everybody out of the party, he's like, fine, I'll just leave you to it. Paul says, I'm out of here. So, folks, this is the bad news. This is the bad news, that creation has, that humanity has turned away from God. We don't love God. We love the things that he has given us. And, of course, now, why? Again, why am I telling you this? Why does Paul have to bring up the bad news? And here's why. Because the good news doesn't make any sense if you don't get the bad news. Paul's going to go on, and, and he's going to say, listen, yeah, yeah, we've turned away from God. We deserve death. We don't deserve God. And he wants to drive that home. He wants to make sure everybody gets that. He wants everybody to realize they don't deserve to be in God's presence because of the way they live their life. And he wants them to get that because if they don't get that, they're not going to understand the gospel, which is that God has come back for us. In the person of Jesus, he's come back to forgive us of our sin. That no matter which part of this describes you, whether you're, you're a gossiper or you're a slanderer or you're arrogant or you're insolent or whatever it is, the heart of the gospel is that Jesus came to die for us, to forgive us of this. We're going to sing a song at the end that talks about how the wrath of God was satisfied in the person of Jesus, that he came to absorb that, to forgive us. 
Friends, my prayer is that as we go through the book of Romans, I pray that we will enter it with this posture of that's me. It's not just bad news out there. It's bad news here in my own heart. It's not just the world that needs God's grace and mercy. It's me. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you this morning and we praise you for your honesty. We thank you that you don't just give us pain medicine for the soul, that you actually desire to heal us and to heal our broken world. God, I pray that we would be humbled by this, every single one of us, that we might be challenged by the ways in which we are living, that we might discover that so much of it, so much of what we think is good is really a lie, and what we need is you. God, break our hearts that we might be in a position to have them healed. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.